listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Astros Future Podcast here on the Apollo Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Price, also known as Astros Future. You can find my work at AstrosFuture.com and find me on Twitter at Astros Future. I'm your co-host, Kenny Van Doren. You can also find my work on AstrosFuture.com and find me on Twitter at The Vandalorian. Before you're joined by today's guest, we'd like to let you know today's episode is powered by Big City Wings. Celebrate Father's Day with birds and brews for dad at Big City Wings. Get eight wings plus 34 ounces of beer for only $15. Big City Wings has unbeatable lunch specials for only $9.99, available Monday through Friday, and happy hour specials from 3 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Uh, Monday through Saturday. Big City Wings is open for all dine-in, carry-out, curbside pickup, and delivery at all locations. For details, visit BigCityWings.com. Today, we are joined by the Astros Miley Pitcher of the Month for April and 2021 12th round pick, Rhett Koba. Rhett, how you doing? Doing good, good. Glad to get on here with you guys and uh, talk a little bit about some baseball. Yes, sir. So we'll we'll jump right into it. You know, you, you came out of the gate real hot uh, to start your second full season, struck out 25 batters uh, in April in just 17 innings. What was working so well for you? Uh, you know, we just have a good organization that kind of really sets us up uh, each game and just all the work and preparation that throughout the offseason, the spring training, and then just kind of executing and using it during the season as the, as the season started. So you had a, you had a stretch um, really from about, I think it was like middle of May to – Pretty recent, or beginning of May to beginning of June, where you didn't walk anyone in like thirty innings. You had like no walks to thirty six strikeouts in thirty one innings. The the longer that went on, like is that something that you recognized and kind of like felt like you were it was a pressure on you to to not break that streak? I mean, I tried obviously tried not to worry about anything like that. I just try to go out there each day and just kind of execute what I have. But I mean, the walks are probably the most thing that irritates me the most about like so because it's something I can control every time so not walking people i i definitely notice because when i walk someone it's such a, a big deal to me mm -hmm. and that's something i was i was wondering about too like just other prospects other just minor leaguers do you guys just try to avoid looking at your own stats or is that something you want to keep up with uh it's funny because a lot it's kind of it's different with each guy going guy to guy some guys kind of like to know where they're at some guys don't mostly guys here we kind of we'll joke around about it with each other just kind of like a competition thing which is really nice but Personally, for the most part, I try not to look at it just because I'm I'm very superstitious about everything. So if uh -huh. just if I just look at, it, I think like I'm just like setting myself up to to kind of mess with everything. On the competition side, like like can you give give an example of somebody you had like a little competitive edge? I mean, it's like the maybe total strikeouts or something. Yeah, so me and uh, Spencer actually, uh, and Spencer and Colton and like a bunch of the other. I mean, most of the starting pitchers, we all kind of have a little thing about just like. It's kind of more friendly than it is as, as like a serious thing, but it's always I mean it's it's cool to have a one up on on guys that you're with every single day. So that's one thing. And me and me and Spencer actually, uh, um, we're talking about that like kind of because like he he did, obviously didn't have the best start that he would have liked, but obviously as like as lately everybody's seen like he's just as dominant as he always is. So again, mm -hmm. uh, and so that was kind of one thing we always me and Colton always joke about with him. It was about like kind of how that was going and like how we were like. <laughs> And it really, and like, I mean, obviously, it, it, it's, I don't know if that's the reason why, but we like to joke and say that. So it kind of like pushed him to kind of help get back to, to how he does. 
Yeah, and I know uh, I was looking at the totals today. I think maybe like him and Gordon have sixty-two strikeouts, and I think you have sixty. So y'all are all right there in that in that range. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always fun. It's it's good to keep the competition, keep kind of just the joking around because obviously, like, I mean, it's still a job, and we have to we have to execute and like do our mm -hmm. stuff every single day. But anytime you can kind of bring a laugh or just something that really kind of helps give a little boost of motivation is always good for for us and everybody in the clubhouse. And jumping back into that, you know, superstition. I know, like, you know, Jimmy and I, we post a lot about stats online. Some of those guys, like yourself, you see those. Do you just try to like avoid maybe those kind of social media posts about how well you're doing or if you're in a good stretch? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love seeing posts because that just means that somebody, whether it's me or anybody else in the org is doing good. And I love just to see guys that I know have put the work in all the time and seeing them like doing well and it getting exposed by you guys, which thank you guys for all that you guys do. It's just, it's good to see that and obviously get to see you guys. But I mean, for me, I try to, I mean, I don't avoid it. Cause like my parents and some people send stuff to me. So it's, but, mm -hmm. uh, I've deleted Twitter. I don't, I don't, I'm not on Twitter right now. Just, just kind of something just because one, I can find myself scrolling on it for a while, but also just kind of mm -hmm. avoid all those other distractions or whatever. For sure. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah so jumping back over to spring training, you mentioned a little bit earlier about getting you prepared for your second full season. Were there any adjustments you kind of made your arsenal, any changes to delivery that's really played into more success? Um, I wouldn't say so. It was just kind of more just like, I don't want to say perfecting because I'm so long ways and, from doing that but it's just kind of really just finding the what stuff works in different counts what against different hitters right left up down all that kind of thing and just really honing in and like trying to just really execute those each and every time was something that really kind of just i probably would say the biggest thing for me and obviously some other stuff like in the weight room or with strength and conditioning size really kind of help i say kind of push me and give me a little boost going into start the year so at the end of the last season you got the opportunity to play in the uh, arizona fall league what were your thoughts on on having the extended season, and what played into the Astros' uh, decision to send you out there? Well, I got a little start, slow start to the year, a little banged up in spring training, but nothing, nothing serious at all. And so I was able to still manage to get a lot of innings throughout the year. But obviously, there was probably a little more they wanted to see, and so I, I was obviously blessed to have that opportunity. And then going out there with, I mean, it was it was awesome. Obviously, it's a little longer year from February all the way to into November, but. But it was fun. I got to meet a bunch of great people, create some cool relationships with different orgs, different teams, and it's and just having guys all over the country now that I get to watch and cheer for and root on as they kind of go through their careers and through the season. So I, I can't, I have nothing bad to say about it. Arizona is a great place, and obviously, I mean, we won, so that was really another <laughs> boost to the boost to going out there. And. When you were with the Surprise Segueros, I mean, your your head coach was Mickey Story, AAA mm -hmm. manager now. I mean, he could be your manager in the future down the road here. Um, he was a major league pitcher. I mean, did you pick his brain at all and just kind of learn about what you needed to hone in on while you're focusing to get to that next level? And my second question to that is that all the guys, all the Astro, fellow Astros prospects you're with, I think they're all in AA now. And so what was that kind of like to play with just your teammates for the next season? Yeah, so I mean that was that was cool. Like you said, we started all eight that went out to Arizona. We're all there. Even our strength and conditioning coach Matt Jones was there, which was pretty fun. And like you said, Mickey is awesome. I hope you guys have gotten to talk to him a little bit. He's a great guy and really kind of it was a good, 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 great feel with everything and a good leader for us as we obviously went and won that that AFL championship. But but yeah, I tried to I talked to him with Mickey as about as much as I could. You know, he's obviously with the position players a little bit more, so it's kind of hard to kind of sneak in there, but. I mean, in the dugout, I try to pick his brain and try to figure out just different things that he's seen, at, obviously, at the AAA level because he's been in the game so long. And obviously, like you said, being a pitcher, I just kind of things, little things here and there. But, I mean, the biggest thing is I just got to enjoy it because, I mean, 
it can go away really fast in the blink of an eye. So it's always just you just enjoy it, have fun, and let the let the game go, and just do what you can, and just be the best that you can every single day. It's like some days will be good, some days will be bad, but but yeah, Mickey's a great guy. I'm glad we were able to to play with him. And just like you said, with the prospect stuff, like obviously we all started here, so that was really cool. And then you know everybody's a couple guys here and there go up, maybe some guys here, so ready to really see how the rest of the season goes. For sure. So my, my next question, kind of oh, just going off that AFL real quick. I know Scott Schreiber had the walk-off hit. I mean, mm-hmm. what was that kind of like to have like your teammate do it? I mean, you guys were probably the, going the craziest around him. Yeah, that was that that was that was a really cool game for us because Colton Gordon obviously started for that game. So that was one of our guys. Matt Rupenthal threw, which was really cool to see him throw in there. And then, like you said, Will and, and Schreiber were both in, uh, both in that last place. So that was obviously a little cherry on top for, for the Astros guys to kind of get the job done there and the, to win that game. So the Astros like to implement tandems for their starting pitchers, but this year I was looking at, I think you've out of 11 outings, you've started nine times. Um, is, is there like a, a rhyme or reason behind you get in so many starts and is, do you have like a preference of, of, of starting versus pitching out of the bullpen? Um, well, to start off at the end, like you said, like I, I'm very superstitious. And so like I have a very kind of specific routine I like to do. And so whenever I get the chance to start, I, 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 it's easier for me knowing the routine that I've done like each and every outing, but mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's odd sometimes coming out of the bullpen, but, but being a starter or in starting the game, knowing like when you're going to pitch and where instead of it's at the back end of the tandem where you're sometimes it's the fourth inning, sometimes it's the sixth inning. It's mm-hmm. that can be a little, obviously you have to mess with the routine or with the getting ready there, but, but it's not bad. But then for, it's kind of, it was kind of weird. We've had kind of a weird season with some injuries here and there, but a couple of rain outs there. That's kind of why, the schedules because I've we, I've had to split double headers twice this year. There's two starts mm-hmm. instead of, but it's kind of just it's kind of random, kind of just depending on with the guys we have personnel and kind of the right. way the schedule lines up. Yeah. So what does that routine kind of look like compared? I know you you're facing more of like a you know a different order almost. You could be coming in facing the sixth guy instead of the first guy. But have you kind of seen yourself just like pitching differently when you're facing a different part of the order to start off? Uh no, not really. Kind of just stick to the to the routine or to the game plan that kind of we have in the, our meeting before the game, and then just knowing like making sure I know who's up, and then kind of just really just creating it, or treating it like that's the lead off to start the game, whether it's the lead off or it's the six, seven, eight, nine hole, just wherever it is. I just pretend like that's the the lead off, and then just go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Astros uh, currently have a strong tie to your alma mater in Dallas Baptist. <laughs> you know, with Ryan Robleski, Rick Aether, two guys who've joined the system in the last two years um can you speak on what it means to have some of your college teammates continuing that journey in the same system yeah for sure like i mean obviously seeing any of the college guys i mean we had i think we had like six or seven i think get drafted from dbu the year i was there so it's really cool to continue to see those guys play and and obviously go through progress through the minors and then like you said playing with guys from from dbu is even cool because obviously seeing guys that you've played college with now professionally i mean Ray Gaither just got to to double A last week or the week before. And so like that's kind of cool to to play with him again in the same team. And then Robleski's obviously doing his thing down in Asheville. And it's really cool to continue to see them progress through and obviously just kind of get do the same thing that I've been seeing them do since the past three, four years. So before you went to Dallas Baptist for your uh, third collegiate season, you played two years uh, in uh, JUCO at North Central Texas College. Looking back, what was that that grind like after seeing where you are now and, and starting at the JUCO route, and then uh, you know to where you're at now in Double A? Yeah, it's it was it was a lot. JUCO was very interesting. Definitely going down in, in Texas, obviously playing some really good competition with some 
obviously a bunch of people have heard the stories of, of Juco and how it is. And I'd say, I'd say mine wasn't the worst all the way at the bottom, but it was definitely, there were some interesting things that went on. And a funny thing is Cesar Gomez, actually me and him went, both went to that Juco. He was there a year before me, but we played with the same coaches, stayed in the same dorm. So it's always funny to kind of go back with stories that, that we both went through going there. That's cool. I didn't know that there was that connection too for you. Um, mm-hmm. But you're from El Reno, Oklahoma, and you played the last two last two years in uh, North Carolina in the Astros system. But now you're a little bit closer to home. Do you get that opportunity to see your family a little bit more? Do they get to come down? Uh, they 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 come twice, which is more than they were able to come last year. But funny enough, Corpus Christi from my house is actually the farthest trip of all the teams that like we play on our schedule. So yeah. everywhere, like like they came to Amarillo was three hours. They came last or two weeks ago in Northwest Arkansas. It was like three hours, and then mm-hmm. obviously Tulsa's pretty close. Same with Springfield and Wichita, but and Frisco too. But but I, I thought that was kind of funny that I'm closer to home, but still is the farthest one away that could. That's so we're funny. gonna we're gonna transition yeah. to to some some fun questions. What is your your current walkout music in AA? So when you get the start and they're playing music for you to go out on the mound, what's your what's your walkout music? Uh, I went with the classic "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. And has uh, that been one that has that been like a go-to for you for a while? Or is that or is that new this year? Uh, it was new this year. I just heard it one day before the a couple of days before the season. I was like, well, I mean, we're all just trying to stay alive in this game, so so I thought it'd just be a good fit and a little upbeat, you know. The fans, hopefully, it's a it's a classic, so I hope people like <laughs> it and kind of really help get the fans going, maybe a little bit. If you're ever in a rut, do do pitchers like ever change their walkout music? Maybe something else to just get them going. Yeah, I think there's I think there's been a couple guys obviously a couple guys throughout the top of my career that I've heard or that changes some hitters obviously do the same thing just kind of maybe create a little just like change in scenery as some people say or just a change in just like the routine that they went about. So I've, I've definitely seen I I personally like I said superstitious. So I've I know I've changed sometimes in the past, but for the most part I try to stay consistent that way I kind of like know what I'm going with. Speaking of hitting, um, I looked it up. You've never you never uh, batted in your pro career or your college career. Um, if Joe Thon needed to throw you out there for one game, how would it, how would it end up for you? Um, I think I could, I mean, I could, I could play a pretty good outfield as the, the coach has seen me in BP, but, but hitting wise, I don't know. Cause the guys are really good. And obviously if our guys sometimes have trouble with it, I don't know. I don't really think I have a chance. I'd probably be better with my swing with my eyes closed, but I definitely, I'd go up there and I'd, I'd do my best, but I've tried to get Thon to let me pinch run sometimes like late in games or extra innings or something just to, to try to, <laughs> in there maybe just play an outfield for a last inning but but they're pretty strict about keeping the pitchers in the dugout where they belong <laughs> i i don't remember who it was i think it was last year though when he was still with fayetteville might have been walker brockhouse had to start a game at dh because you yeah. got i think fayetteville was down a couple guys and i just thought that was so interesting that a pitcher had to start and so i was yeah, wondering I saw- if you if you would do the same thing yeah i saw some pictures about they gave him i mean he had probably had two or three leg guards on a <laughs> protector sunglasses batting gloves tape everything but i don't think he was allowed to swing which kind of stunk which would be funny if he could have drew a walk but mm-hmm. but yeah we heard about that it was kind of funny to, <laughs> to see that so this off season you kind of hung out with some some of your fellow teammates and we just had joey loperfito on the podcast not too long ago but hanging out with them this off season did, did he uh make you an honorary uh, eagles fan uh yeah it's a funny story so uh his parents came and watched us in Aberdeen last year and I've got I've met his parents a couple, like time or two in Asheville and uh they came down to, in Aberdeen which is like an hour from Jersey and they got me an Eagles hat 
and this was in August. So this was before any of the season started. So nobody can say I was a bandwagon, but <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll give it a break. Cause NFL is obviously being from Oklahoma. It's kind of, you can, it's kind of, there's no team to, to just cheer for. So it's, there's, I mean, there's a bunch, like all my friends cheer for different teams. So I was like, you know, I'll just be an Eagles fan this year. And then obviously they're really good. And I was able to get out to Philly and see a game. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. We, we asked him about it too, but it was, it was kind of a, Kind of been a tough year for Philadelphia. I mean, the teams are really good, but you know, the Phillies lost in the World Series to the Astros, the Eagles lost the, the Super Bowl. So um I know he was he was pretty upset with that. Yeah, yeah. I said because I I mean, that was the first like one of my first true experiences seeing like a team like obviously as they were like one of the best, and then the fans are just crazy, obviously, in Philly. And so getting to see that was pretty cool. It was really fun. On the topic of uh, Loperfito, we had him on and we, we asked him about his Joe Cooks page. And he said that, you know, he started cooking and next thing you know, he started cooking for teammates and stuff. So I think you were on one of his posts or something. But like, what's what's something he's cooked for you that you're like, yeah, this is this is really good. Uh, one time in Asheville, me, him and Chad and JC were rooming together and he made this like he called it red sauce. And it was like over pasta with like meat and cheese and all this other unbelievable stuff. And it was just incredible, and that was one of the things. And I, he, you know, he makes breakfast a lot: eggs, bacon, avocado, sausage. All I mean, anytime you see him in the kitchen, like cooking something, <laughs> you know something good. You're getting something good. That's awesome. Um, on the topic of your teammates, though, who would you say has the best taste in music in the clubhouse right now? Oh, Caesar Gomez for sure. <laughs> Hundred percent. Whenever the second we get anywhere, you know Caesar's gonna throw some jams on, and he's always. He's always got a good feel with the kind of the the vibes of the room, whether it's pregame or postgame or a couple hours before we're all just hanging out. So definitely would say he is. He does. Good. Zero What's zero hesitation too. Uh, he has uh, "Jesus Walks" by Kanye as his, okay. so it's a good one. So uh, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, and like you said, not having any professional teams around, did you have a favorite baseball team growing up or a favorite player that you followed? Um. Uh. I not not base. Uh, I like Oakland a little bit because I watched Moneyball when it was like nine or ten. But then kind of <laughs> in the like, ah, it's not a. It's I was just like, well, hopefully I play professionally, so I'll just kind of just cheer for baseball at that point. But <laughs> I was I liked I liked Oakland growing up a little bit, and then player wise, uh, I liked A Rod a little bit, but nothing too crazy. Kind of as I got later in high school, I was more of a pitcher guy. So so seeing that's like Scherzer or. I loved watching Greg Maddox highlights, even though I was a little too young to see him in person. That was cool to watch. My dad was a Braves fan growing up, so he obviously saw the the Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz trio, and hearing some stuff about that was always cool. Did you ever make any trips down to Arlington growing up? Is that like any of the stadium you yeah. would have visited? Yeah, I think I went there two or three times. I think I got to see. I got to saw. I mean, I saw Ichiro play one time when I was like like five or six, which was pretty cool. Uh, I went there a couple times in like baseball tournaments. We'd go and go and catch a game there with the team and then we went to Kansas City once and that's really about it. I haven't really gotten to too many games, which which was fine. I mean my summer was used dedicated to baseball anyways, so but but it was good. I was able to watch a lot with my dad and brother and everyone. We well, you definitely get to watch plenty of baseball now. Yeah, that's for sure. That's <laughs> at, for especially sure. as a starter, right? You get to yeah, you know, once every five or six games you get to you get to pitch and the other ones you get to be a fan. So for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it, Red. We pr really appreciate you taking the time and coming on here to talk some baseball and uh, definitely wishing you the best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate all that you do and the coverage you get for all the guys. And uh, we all, like, I hope, I hope everybody lets you guys know, but everybody does really appreciate what y'all do. Appreciate that. Thank you, Red.
All right, that's going to do it for the first segment. In the next segment, we'll take a look around the system. We'll get to that in just a moment. And continuing on here at the Astros Future Podcast, presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, make sure you do us a favor, drop us a review, leave us some stars. Uh, so we'll we'll go ahead and jump down to the minor leagues. We'll do our review around the system. Uh, it's actually a really good week. You know, 24 games in the system. The, the minor league teams want to combine 16 and 8. Uh, but, Kenny, we're going to start with Sugarland. I know you got some guys you want to talk about, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, uh, two new newly um, promoted guys in Sugarland right now, Shea Whitcomb and Quincy Hamilton, two guys that conquered the Texas um, the Texas League um, this to start the year. They, they joined this past week, and, I mean, they were on fire. Of course, it was in Albuquerque. There is that elevation factor, but these two guys came out swinging three home runs for Shea Whitcomb in his first six games. Quincy Hamilton saw four games, and he had four home runs, five RBI, three walks with three strikeouts. All around, these two guys are slugging, and they're hitting well. I mean, they both played well in their second uh, swing in the, with Corpus Christi, and um, this is an opportunity for them to prove that they could be non-roster invitees next season. Of course, I have said this before. I thought Shea Whitcomb deserved a non-roster invite mm-hmm. this past year. Still saw a good amount of time with the big league club in spring training, uh, but overall, those are two guys who could either be building trade value for themselves to find an opportunity elsewhere or they're you know, really turning it up and possibly being a bench guy in the future. And, of course, Quincy Hamilton hitting from that left side. Um, he's put on some lasers, but he also just gets the ball over the fence like pretty easily. I mean, he had some chip shot home runs um, this, this past week. It looked like it was just with ease. And he's a good left-handed hitter, plays some good defense. And, of course, Shea Whitcomb, he's one of the better def- in- infielding defenders, of course. He can play third, short, and second. And those are two guys that are just on the come-up right now going into AAA. Yeah, and I love to see Hamilton doing that. You know, he's always had – at least in the Astros Marley system, good walk numbers, good strikeout numbers. So good to see him find that pop. And then Wickham too, you know, he's, he, he's got some power. He's got some speed and we're kind of seeing that from him, but Corey Lee, a, a guy that everybody knows about, but he's hitting 293 overall. But if you go look at the last, he got off to a really slow start this season, but last 37 games, he's hitting 325. And I think what's kind of interesting is he's the home run power has kind of went down a little bit, but with that, he's, he's been, you know, hitting, hitting for better average, drawing some walks. I think he's got like 16 doubles over his last 37 games. It kind of makes me wonder, the Astros, did they tell him like, hey, we want you to go down and and work on, you know, on on getting on base and and, and getting hits more so than just driving the ball? Because last year, it felt like he was really working on driving the ball. This year, it's a little bit different. But uh, he's won. And then Joe Record has is, is actually had a really good year. I think if you look at the overall numbers, you know, he's got – a three six two ERA, but since they kind of moved him to like the full time closer role, the guy's been dominant. I think over his last thirteen innings, he's got like seventeen strikeouts, allowed like one or two earned runs, uh, leads the team with nine saves now. So he's kind of taken that role and ran with it, throwing that cutter, that sinker, ninety four miles an hour. Uh, if the Astros end up having injuries in the bullpen and they need another arm, I could see him getting an opportunity. Yeah, it feels like a Seth Martinez in 2021, a guy who is really just excelling in AAA, former Rule 5 selection. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the same Rule 5 draft that Joe Record was selected in from the Twins. And that slider is just killer. It's one of the best sliders in the triple in AAA right now, according to Stuff Plus. Um, has a, a mean handlebar and mustache. And Joe Record's just a good guy all around. And he's a guy you root for who's been really just trying to bat. He's battling his way up the yeah. system. And definitely he's an option moving forward. Another pitcher that's kind of impressed me um, his last time out was Gyrus Solis, who ended up being the Pacific Coast League Pitcher of the Week. Um, he made one start on June 8th, went six innings, allowed two runs on three hits, um, gave up one home run, walked one batter, but he struck out seven. And that's probably one of Gyrus Solis' best outings since 2018. Guy who's just been snake bitten by injuries. He's really turned it around. 
Yeah, no, and it's really good to see that. I mean, he was one of the kind of thought of as one of the top prospects in the system a little while back. He debuted in, in uh, I think it was Quad Cities at the time at like 19 years old. So good to see him kind of come into his own in AAA. Uh, we'll go down to the hooks. They're 20 and 29 playing really good baseball, just about to be at 500, which is nice to see because I think they got off to a little bit of a slow start. But first guy I want to talk about is Spencer Arigetti. Uh, we talked about Rhett Coba with him on the podcast. Uh, Rhett was awesome. Spencer Arigetti's been great this year. 63 strikeouts and 50 innings. Once again, kind of like a uh, record. If you look at the overall line for Spencer Arigetti, 4.62 ERA, but you have to kind of really break it down. And he had like an unbelievable stretch, I think, where he allowed maybe two earned, or two earned runs over like 27 innings. Uh, and just really showed why he was, you know, one of the Astros' top pitching prospects. So really good to see him find his groove. And what was that quote he gave you the other day when he really just turned it up? It was just like he figured out that he just needs to throw harder. I mean, he just wasn't yep. himself. Throw so what was the quote yet? Yeah, I think I think I'd have to go look at the article to be exact, but it was basically like I I learned how to throw hard again and be uh, and compete. Uh, two two more guys that have really just stood out to me recently in double a one of them is Luis Avilas jr who wasn't even with the astros um this time two weeks ago he signed with the astros last monday recording on a monday june 12th here um he played five games last week he hit five home runs he had seven hits on the week five of those were home runs 11 rbi two stolen bases a guy who joined this system primarily as a another experienced infielder i mean he hasn't really played past triple a in his career he's never played in the majors he's been a minor leaguer since 2013 i mean this is year 10 for him in professional baseball and he's really he just really just turned it up this past week ended up being the texas league uh player of the week and because of shea whitcomb moving up to triple a guys like dixon machado and ryland bannon are injured in triple a they're going to miss significant time with their respective injuries um this was an opportunity for the astros to look at a guy like luis avilas who was just released by the padres last month and I mean, that's a great start for him that the Astros probably just figured something out in his swing. For sure. Yeah, no, good to see that. And, and, and you know, that infield depth is needed. Uh, speaking of infield depth, though, one guy I'd like to talk about is Zach Dezenzo. And we're, you know, we're in June. We're, we're two and a half, about two and a half months into the season. He's hitting 390. It's it's unreal. 43 games. You know, he's been in, uh, been in double A for 12 games, hitting 342. But I think what's very uh, good to see this year is – Coming out of the draft and when the Astros got him, which is looking like an absolute steal now, but the talk was, you know, there's some swing and miss in his game, but very good, uh, very good exit velocity numbers. But right now he's got uh, 35 wa- or 35 strikeouts in 43 games, but seven walks to eight strikeouts in double A. Uh, so he's not striking out as much. He's drawing walks, 12 stolen bases, hitting for average. Really good to see and, and kind of he's probably the one guy right now that maybe started, you know, low on the prospect list either. Uh, in the 20s, 30s, however, wherever people put him. And he's probably jumped up to that top 10 now. Most certainly. And he leads all current full season minor leaguers in batting average, which is just incredible for a guy who was drafted in the 12th round last year. Another guy from that draft who everyone is wanting an update on is Drew Gilbert, who's battling some left um, elbow discomfort. Um, he's been a DH in every single game since May 24th. His last time he played center field was May 23rd. Across those 14 games, though, uh, five for 50. Really just, you know, that, I think that injury is really just kicking in here. That's a 100 batting average with a 374 OPS. Has walked 12 times with those 15 strikeouts over 14 games is kind of uncharacteristic from the success he had early on. Um, his last extra base hit came via a home run on May 21st. So overall, I mean, it's just pretty obvious that he's still battling something there with that with that elbow. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's it's nice to see him playing. It's unfortunate he's not, you know, hitting as well. But we saw what he can do, and whenever he gets that healthy, if he's still – if he's at least still in the lineup, makes me think that it's not uh, something too serious, something he can just kind of work through. So um, hopefully he'll get that back going. 
We'll go to Asheville, 24 and 29. Uh, same thing. They've they've kind of been playing some good baseball. I think this week was a little bit more rough, but overall, um, you know, creeping up to that 500. Uh, the first guy I like to talk about is Ryan Clifford. You know, he just destroyed the uh, the Carolina League in Fayetteville. Was was awesome. Got that quick promotion at 19 years old to high A. After a slow start, he kind of started turning things on. But even then, he's got an 819 OPS, six homers, 17 RBIs in 24 games. He's drawn 10 walks, something we saw him doing in Fayetteville. So uh, 19 years old, putting up those kind of numbers in high A in his first opportunity is uh, uh, very encouraging to see. Another guy that's was kind of excelling in high A before he faced an injury this past couple of weeks was Miguel Palmo got that OPS up to 852, 309 batting average, five home runs. Of course, he has been strong a little bit on throwing the ball to um, second base, trying to throw out some runners there. But overall, the offense looks good for Miguel Palma. Unfortunately, he is on the injured list now. Um, something undisclosed, but it looked like it was kind of a, concl- a collision at third base that just um, ended up poorly for him. Uh, but overall, just a great offensive stride there from Miguel Palma. Yeah, another another uh, draft pick from the last year's draft, Jacob Melton. He's hitting. He's only hitting two twenty eight, but he's got a three forty eight on base percentage. Has drawn twenty nine walks in forty one games and, ha- and leads the system in twenty uh, with twenty four stolen bases. Also has seven home runs. So I think if you go look at the advanced numbers, you know the batting average on balls in play is kind of low, but he's still getting on base, still hitting some home runs, still stealing bases. So uh, really good to see from him as well. We'll jump down to Fayetteville. They've been playing really good baseball, six and zero this week. Swept the the team they were playing. So really good to see that from them. But a lot of it is starting with their pitching. you got Trey Dombrowski down there who's striking out a ton of guys and, and really looking good. And then Nolan DeVos, uh, same thing. He's basically looking unhittable. I'd have to go look and see. When Kenny gives you his pick, I'll tell you I'll, uh, I'll tell you how many hits he's given up. But guy's been unhittable, uh, striking out number, uh, guys at a high clip. He's got uh, 55 strikeouts and 39 innings. He's only allowed 24 hits. That's 5.4 hits per nine innings, 2.27 ERA. Uh, if he gets those walks under control a little bit, he'll probably see himself in high A. Uh, but really good season from him. The, the pitching from the 2022 draft is looking really strong. Um, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of three guys that have uh, been playing really well in Fayetteville. First card is Narbe, Narbe Cruz, who's hitting 366 with a 956 OPS in the month of June. Uh, five doubles, one home run. Everything's clicking for this guy. He had a 594 OPS across 26 games in May. He's really turning it around in his first year of affiliated ball. I mean, he was a guy who was probably competing for Carolina League Player of the Week. Another guy that's really standing out to me is Nick Swanson, uh, 16th round pick in the 2021 draft. He has a 268 ERA over 40 and a, 43 and two thirds innings with 47 strikeouts. Um, this season, of course, he is he's in, he's in his age 23 season, a little bit older for single A, but in his last time out, he had six innings of one run baseball, with five strikeouts, not the biggest strikeout pitcher, but everything's clicking for Nick Swanson. I think Asheville could be calling his name soon. And yeah, the, the last guy that's re- really just uh, really sticking out to me is Jackson Lofton. I wrote a little bit about him on the Astros future doc on AstrosFuture.com, So you can check him out there. Yeah, good to see them uh, playing. Like I said, it was nice to see the the system overall had a really good week, uh, seeing some of the strong pitching performances. So before we get out of here, before we get to the best thing that we learned this week, I do want to let you know, just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Big City Wings. Make sure you get over there on Father's Day. You can get eight wings plus 34 ounces of beer for only $15. Big City Wings is open for dining, carryout, curbside pickup, and delivery at all locations. For details, visit, uh, visit bigcitywings.com. So Kenny, tell me, what is the best thing that you learned this week? Best thing I learned this week, we don't always jump into the rookie ball level in Florida Complex League and the Dominican Summer League, but Luis Baez has been crushing it. He was rewarded with Florida Complex League Player of the Week, leading in home runs, multiple other offensive categories in the top two in batting average and OPS. Overall, just a great start for Luis Baez, who could find himself in Fayetteville sooner than later. 
Yeah, I, I would love to see him in Fayetteville when I get there on June 28th. I don't know if it's going to happen that quick. It's only a few weeks away, uh, but hopefully he can make it there. Looking at the best thing I learned this week, I know we talked about it a little bit, but one thing I guess I got to talk about is uh, we were there was a question on Twitter about who was, who would be a player that would have made the Hall of Fame not for injuries. And the first one popped to mind was Grady Sizemore. I don't know if people listening remember him, uh, outfielder for the Indians, but uh, was phenomenal up until like age 25 season. Had uh, more than 25 war, over 100 home runs, over 100 stolen bases. Phenomenal outfielder. Ended up getting hurt um, and unfortunately just never got back to that. And then one other thing Kenny brought up, I did tweet about it not that long ago, but it was Miguel Cabrera and uh, phenomenal numbers up until like age 32. And since then, it's really kind of been a, a downstretch. But in that downstretch, I think of, a, of you know, four or five seasons, he made like over $200 million. So he's still getting his money. That's all that matters. He's still going to be in the Hall of Fame, one of the best hitters we've seen. But that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Astros Future Podcast, covering your Astros in the minor league system.